Uh, we're doing a series in August called Anchored, as you saw on there, and um, it is uh, something that as I've been studying, I'm really excited to get into. Uh, in fact, I want to give you kind of a, a brief synopsis of the month so you kind of know what to expect over these next few weeks. Um, basically, it's, it's uh, given to the idea that we're all metaphorically uh, anchored to something or some things in our life, right? And uh, as Christians, obviously, the plan is that we would be anchored to God. It seems pretty simple. But you guys are smart enough to know that just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that God is your anchor. It doesn't mean that he's the one that's, that you're putting your trust in. And we know enough to know that there are a lot of things in this world that would vie to be those anchors for us, that would cause us to uh, put our trust in those things other than in Jesus. And we know Jesus is the only true anchor that can really sustain and, uh, and stabilize our lives. And um, we're going to be talking about that over this month. Also, some of the counterfeit anchors that would want to have influence in our life as well. Uh, I think it's going to be really great. My prayer is that you guys will be challenged and encouraged and that uh, the word will transform us as it is designed to do. So uh, without that, with that being said, I want to jump right into the word because it is the word that transforms. And um, I'm going to read you my text verse today out of Hebrews 6. I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you would, please. Uh, we just like to stand here in honor of reading God's word together. We feel like it is worthy of it. It's not a religious practice. It's just something that uh, we like to give honor to the word, and it helps us to focus in on it too. So uh, if you will look at the screen or look at your Bibles and read with me in Hebrews 6, verses 16 to 19. It says, Now when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who receive the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Can you say praise God for that? The fact that our salvation is completely sure and he will not change his mind. I'm thankful we serve a God that is not flaky. Praise God for that. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable. There's another wonderful word. God does not change. It is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. And this is the main part of my text right here. It says, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. That is who Jesus is. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. It's a great word of scripture there. Uh, the title of my message today is called The Anchor for Our Soul. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we love you today. We thank you for your word because it is what transforms us. It is the truth in our life. And so, God, we submit ourselves to your truth today. I pray, Father, that my words would be your words and that whatever is from you would change our lives and whatever is of me would fall on deaf ears. And, God, we pray that over this month as we talk about being anchored to you, Lord, that you would do your work in our hearts. Thank you that your word will do the work that it is set out to do for your glory and for our good. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. So as, uh, as, as, as I said, I, I wasn't um, preaching in July. Uh, we only went away for one week of that time. We went to uh, Ohio to be with family. And uh, while we were up there, it was a great time, a very restful time. But uh, one day we actually rented a pontoon boat and went out on a lake. It was uh, Lake Milton and had a great time. You know, the, my, my family and my brother's family were all on this boat together and the kids are inner tubing, and we're just having a good time. And we've been out there for a couple hours fishing a little bit. And all of a sudden, the wind started picking up, and it felt really good because it was hot. And I thought, oh, this feels nice. And then I look over, and I see out in the distance these dark clouds coming in. 
And I grab my phone real quick and I looked and I see those red things on the radar that are not good if you're outside. And uh, so we knew we had to get out of there. So we started hightailing it back. We're going to dock this boat and go get in our car and get out of there. And we're about a quarter to three-eighths of a mile away from the shore, and the boat dies. Completely dead. It was full throttle, all of a sudden, nothing. And, um, you know, so I jump up right away, and I I look at the gas tank, and it's got fuel, and I start messing with stuff. You know, I I have no idea what I'm looking at, but it's, it's not about what you know, it's about how you look. And Joy was like, oh, Reagan really knows boats. And I'm just jiggling cables and hoses, and like, you know, I'm really just back there praying. And um, we messed around a little bit, and believe it or not, the boat started up and worked just fine and dandy. We were, we were dead in the water there for about, I don't know, seven, eight minutes. And it started up, took off, got to shore, got out of there, got in our vehicles right before the rain started. So God was obviously with us, <laughs> and uh, we were thankful for that. But, you know, I couldn't help but remember, I, I remembered that I couldn't help but thinking while we were sitting there with no power, no nothing, and the wind is blowing, so the waves, you know, the lake, lakes can get pretty rough if the wind's blowing, and uh, we were, you know, we were moving a good bit, and we were completely at the mercy of the elements. We had nothing to stop whatever was going to come our way to keep it from affecting us or having a, a big impact in our lives. And um, I can, I'm, I'm sure you can see where I'm going here, but it's the same thing in our life, right? We didn't have an anchor on this boat, so we were going to go wherever the waves took us because we didn't have an anchor. And we also need an anchor in our life. In fact, without a good anchor, we're at the mercy of the elements in our life. And uh, I want to kind of paint a picture of an anchor and and how it functions because we're going to be using this this month. And just want to take a minute here at the front end and just kind of paint this picture so you can see what we're talking about, where we're going with this. But, you know, for an anchor to be effective, there has to be at least three other elements besides the anchor. Okay, we're going to have a little diagram that shows us too. First of all, you're going to need a vessel. That's something that the anchor is holding. And that, in most situations, would be a boat, obviously. You also need an unstable force. So you don't need an anchor if everything is stable. If you're on dry ground, you don't need an anchor. You only need an anchor if there's an unstable force. That unstable force in this scenario is the water. Obviously, the water is something that changes. It's something that is unstable. It's something you can't trust is going to be consistent or unchanging. And then, of course, you have the stable force, which in this scenario is the ocean floor, it's the seabed, it's the bottom of whatever that body of water is that you're on. And this is the part that the business end of the anchor is connected to. It's the part that the anchor goes into to keep you steady. It's, this is the part you can trust because it is unchanging and it is stable. It doesn't shift depending on the weather or the things that happen outside because it's going to stay constant the whole time. Now, if we look at this metaphor, as a meta, or we look at this as a metaphor for our life, we can see that there is a spiritual perspective to this too. So we'll show another diagram that's pretty much the same, but it shows what part in our life is, is part of this diagram. And first you'll see that the vessel, the boat, is you. Okay? I know you've probably never been called a boat before, but this month you are a boat. Okay? Um, you are the vessel in this metaphor. And the unstable force, the water, is just your life. How many of you know there's nothing in your life that's perfectly stable? Everything in life is unstable. We might think that our life is stable. We might think that our relationships are stable. We might think that our finances are stable. We might think that our health is stable. But all it takes is a bad diagnosis from the doctor. All it takes is a stock market to crash. All it takes is for somebody to betray you. And what you thought was stable can be unstable in a matter of minutes. Just like it was on the boat. We were perfectly stable. Everything was good. And within five minutes, all of a sudden, it's chaos. And you have an unstable force. And that is your life. It's ever-changing. 
ever-changing. It changes its mind all the time. And then you have the stable force, which is the ocean floor, which, of course, is our Heavenly Father. This is the God of the universe, the only person, the only entity in all the universe that is unchanging. There's nothing else that would qualify in any metaphor as an ocean floor because he is the only one that is like that. He is the only one that does not change his mind or waver or change. And so we need an anchor to attach us to this stable force. As a boat, I need an anchor because I can't reach down to the ocean floor to make myself stable, to protect myself from the elements that are outside, right? So I need an anchor to make it down to that floor. And obviously, in our scenario here, this anchor is Jesus. He's the anchor for all of us. He, well, I should say he wants to be the anchor for all of us. And all, we all know what an anchor does. We all know that it goes from the vessel down through that unstable force and into the stable force to bring stability, to protect us, to uh, keep us from being complete victims of the elements that are around us. And this, this paints a couple pictures for us that can apply to our life. And the first one is the most important one. This is a picture of salvation. This is, a, this is a very good representation of what salvation is for you and me, that Jesus is the anchor of our soul, is what my text said this morning. It connects us to our Heavenly Father. There is nothing we can do as a boat to connect ourselves to our Heavenly Father. In fact, we're not even allowed in His presence on our own. The only thing that can connect us to the Father is Jesus. He is the only one, He's the only legitimate anchor of our soul. There is no other. In fact, Jesus said it himself in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one, everyone say no one. No one comes to the Father but by me. This is one of the most crystal clear verses in all the Bible. And it's also one of the most overlooked verses or one of the most uh, cast aside verses when it doesn't line up with what we want. But it is very, very clear from the mouth of Jesus himself. There is no other way. There is no other anchor in your life that can ever anchor you to the Heavenly Father. Because he is the only one, Jesus is the only one that can pay the price for your shortcomings that keep you from your Heavenly Father. The sins in your life. This picture of salvation is beautiful, that we were not enough, that we were floating along on this water aimlessly, complete victims of the elements, and here comes this anchor of our soul that attaches himself to us and, and attaches himself to the Father bringing us that salvation that we so desperately needed. He is the beginning and the end of salvation. He is the first and the last of salvation. Everything that deals with salvation is between him. That's it. Everything outside of him, there is no salvation. There is no anchor for our soul. And we praise God that he is the one that brings salvation, and it is free for all who would come to him and receive him as their Lord and Savior. Can you praise God for that this morning? Thank the Lord. But it also gives us another snapshot. It's a snapshot of our life, even outside of, of salvation, but how we live out this life, even within the confines of salvation, even in relationship with God. Because unlike a boat where an anchor is optional, we were on a pontoon boat, it didn't even have an anchor. But in our life, we all have anchors. We all have things that we are putting our trust in. There, all of us have something or some things that we are leaning on to help us when the elements are getting ugly, when the dark clouds are coming, when the waves start 
moving and the wind is blowing, every one of us has an anchor or multiple anchors in our life. We're all choosing to trust something to help us manage those elements. There are all kinds of anchors that we could choose. I could just give you just a, a couple that I thought of off the top of my head. Some of us would lean on our intelligence when it comes to the storms in life. That is something I've never, ever had a problem with. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, some of us lean on our hard work. Now, I have dealt with that one. I will, I will just work harder to get my life to be more stable. We can all do that. Some of us will lean on our education, that that's what we're going to put our trust in when life gets difficult. You might lean on relationships. If I have the right person in my life, if I have a spouse or if I have a close enough friend, they can get me through these difficult times. Not to say they can't help, but they're not going to be that stable, never-changing, always faithful anchor that you need. Some of us might even lean on addictions, where we use addictions to escape the realities of the storm. We're not necessarily getting rid of them. We're just going to a place that's escaping it temporarily. There's all kinds of things that can be anchors for us in our life. And those things are all empty. And they all eventually catch up to us. Man, I'm so thankful for these young people, for Jamil and JB and, and Ariana, who shared how they got to that place in their life in an in a, in a early time in their life as teenagers where they saw that these other anchors aren't doing it. They're not cutting it. These other anchors don't love me like God loves me. They can't bring stability in my life like God can. As JB shared, you know, that God works for the good for all of those who love him. That's the only place that we can get stability is when we love God and he works good in our life. It's so important that we understand that he is the only one that can actually bring us purpose. He is the only one that can bring, uh, bring that stability and give us an anchor in our life that even when the storms come, we will be held securely because of his unchanging love and mercy and grace in our life. And it sounds good, but because we're here on church on a Sunday morning, you know, of course I want Jesus to be my anchor. But there's a lot more to it than just, is he your anchor, right? Because one of the biggest reasons we choose other things to kind of anchor us is because a lot of those other things will bring instant gratification in our life. And that's a temptation and a draw for every one of us to want that instant fulfillment that a relationship can bring us, a physical relationship can bring us, or an addiction can bring us, or money can bring us, purchasing stuff, a whole lot of other things that can bring us that instant feeling of, ah, this feels good. And really, when Jesus is our anchor, there's not a lot of instant gratification that comes from that. There's some, sometimes he ministers to us in ways that make us feel amazing, but there is a lot that comes with letting him be your anchor. In fact, it actually comes with a cost. Jesus said it himself in Matthew 16 in verse 24. Look what Jesus said to his disciples. It says, if any of you wants to be my follower, which is just another way of saying, if you want to be my anchor, or if you want me to be your anchor, I should say, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. See, now we like the follow me part, because that's the idea of him being our anchor. If I'm following him, he's my, he's my security, he's my stronghold, he's my strength, he's my assurance, he's all those things. We like that part, but you can't skip over the first two parts of that, what Jesus said. He said it in progression on purpose. Can't be his follower if you're not willing to give up and take up. Pastor Unique shared briefly about this verse a little bit a few weeks ago. That the part of being a disciple of Jesus, a part of following Jesus and being able to call yourself a Christian includes all three of these things, not just saying, yeah, he's the one that brings stability in my life. He says you have to give up. What are we giving up? He says, give up your own way. 
Some versions say you have to deny yourself. You have to give up your life. He's saying, if you're going to be my follower, then your life is not your own anymore. Young people do not buy into the lie that you can be a follower of Jesus and just do your life the way you want to do it. He has, he has, a, a, he has standards that he has for us. There's, a, there's something we have to know as we go into this life of faith that, hey, if I'm going to do this, I got to live for him. JB, God bless you, buddy. Being able to, him saying, I'm not willing to get baptized because I know I'm not living the way I need to be living. A lot of people just get baptized and hope for the best. But it's really about knowing you got to count the cost if you're going to walk with Jesus. You got to count the cost to walk with him. He says, you got to give up your life. It is not your own anymore. You're not the boss of your life. Jesus is not your co pilot, he is the pilot. You're in there following him because he is the one leading you. He says, you got to give up. Then he, says to t- then he says, you have to take up. Take up what? Take up your cross. Man, many of us wish that part was not in the Bible because that is tough. Taking up your cross, the cross is a symbol of surrender. It is a symbol of sacrifice. It is a symbol of death. You are dying to yourself. You are giving up yourself for him. You are suffering for Jesus' name. Now, we live in the Western world where our whole society is designed to alleviate and minimize any suffering that you could possibly have, and I praise God for it. But when it comes to this life of faith, Jesus says, you can't just run from suffering and assume because there's suffering that that's not me. Or assume because there's suffering that you don't have to go into it. Sometimes it's just as simple as you have to say no to things that a lot of other people can say yes to. If you love me, you're going to follow me. And you will follow him to some suffering because that's who he is. And that's what he's called us to. And if he's going to be your anchor, then that's what it requires. And he wants to be the anchor. Jesus is not someone that you're just going to add to your repertoire of anchors. Okay? He's not looking for us to have a big cache of anchors, a bunch of, a closet full of anchors that, oh, today I, I'm going to anchor myself to this relationship because that's what's going to make me feel good. Today I'm going to anchor myself to just um, uh, making more money because that's what's going to make me feel good or buying something or whatever. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. He wants to be our anchor, not just one of many, but the only one. And it's all about where you put your trust. I mean, him being our, the anchor for our soul is really just about who do you trust? What do you trust? Do you trust Jesus? I mean, can we just be brutally honest today? It's hard to trust Jesus some days. Many days it's hard. When you're in your fields and it feels good, maybe, you, maybe he met you this morning in worship and you just felt his presence, it's easy to trust him in those moments. But it's a little harder when things are going tough, isn't it? Because you're trusting in someone you can't see. You're trusting in someone you do not get to see or touch physically, and it makes it challenging at times. Church, we just need to be honest about it. We don't need to talk all Christian-y and act like we got it all together and say, oh, I just trust Jesus and everything, even though inside you're dying because you're like, God, I want to trust you so bad, but it's hard. It's okay to tell him that. It's okay to say, I'm having a hard time. I can't see you. I prefer to trust things I can see and touch and feel. But let me tell you, the whole thing of him being an anchor of our soul, do you know when an anchor is doing what it's meant to do, you can't see it either. It's down deep in the water. It's way down there, connected to something. It's working for you. It's actually working hard. It's doing a lot more for you than sometimes you even realize, but you can't see it. And we can trust an anchor when we know that it's in the water because you can feel the effects of it. You don't have to be able to see it with your eyes. Paul said we walk by faith, not by sight. He said it for a reason, because it takes faith. You have to choose to believe. And when you choose to believe, all of a sudden you start to see too. You start to see God in things you never saw him in before. You start to see him in other people. You start to see him in the sunrise. You start to see him in the ocean. You start to see him in the, in the other things in life that you never saw before. So what does it mean or what does it look like when Jesus is my anchor? 
I want to give you a couple principles that just, man, they just stuck out to me, and I just enjoyed going through them this week, so you're going to get to go on this ride with me, okay? First of all, the, if he's your anchor, the anchor is our muscle. It's our strength, in other words. I just like the term muscle there, so I used it. Him as our anchor is our strength. Your stability in life is only as strong as your anchor. It works with a boat. It works with you. If a cruise ship, you see a cruise ship out in the ocean, and it drops this anchor down into the ground, into the ocean, and it's this little plastic anchor that looks like play school made it, it's not doing a thing, is it? You can say you have an anchor, but it's not really doing anything. Even, and even every anchor in life that is not Jesus is like a little toy. It cannot withstand the elements. It cannot sustain. It is not unchanging. It is not something we can be completely, perfectly sure of in our life. It has to be Jesus. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, probably the most famous sermon ever preached, and it was Jesus himself preaching it. Uh, it's, it's, it's documented in Matthew's five, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And he's telling people, he's talking to them all about the kingdom of God and what it looks like uh, to be uh, part of the kingdom of God and what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And I love what he said close to the end of this sermon in Matthew 7, verse 24 to 27. Watch this, what he says here, and see the comparisons to uh, our analogy here too as well. It says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Praise God. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So you see the similarities here. Basically, instead of, a anchor, he's, instead of an anchor in a boat, he's talking about a foundation and a house. It's the same principle, though, that there has to be a solid foundation for us to be able to stand. Now, you notice the only difference between these two men, one of their houses fell and one withstood. The only difference is the foundation. Or the anchor, in other words. That's the only difference. And it's so important that we see this, church. What, what will determine whether or not you will fall and be destroyed and crumble when the storms of life come and, the, and stand and withstand those storms is based on your foundation. Nothing else. Notice Jesus didn't talk about the house. He didn't talk about how well the house was built, how it was built to code, and they put in all kinds of stuff to make sure it could survive hurricanes and floods and storms. He said nothing about the house. It was all about the foundation. The foundation is everything. The anchor is everything. Everything that matters in life is hinging on whether or not you have Jesus as your anchor. He is the one that will sustain you in those storms. And notice he says there that anyone who hears these words and puts them into practice. It's not just saying, oh, Jesus is my anchor. Oh, I love Jesus. I go to church. It's about living out the principles that Jesus has set before us to give up, to take up and to follow him. If you put his words into practice, then you can be the person that built their house on the rock, the, one that will, the house that will withstand the storms that come in life. And it says that the house did not fall. The only reason it did not fall was because of the foundation that it had. Now there's, there's another little nugget of truth in here that is so good and it's so easy to miss, which is why it is so important that we stay in the word and we keep reading our Bibles and we keep asking the Lord to speak to us through his word because you can read the same book of the Bible 40 times and then on the 41st time, all of a sudden you see something you never saw before. That's just how it works. I don't know why it works that way, but that's just how it works. Sometimes it's because our heart's not at a place we can receive it, but we need to stay in it 
and see the messages that God wants to give us in the word. Because this was, this was something that jumped out to me a number of years back, but I had read this verse many, many times in my life. But if you notice, the difference was the, in the foundations. You had the one on the rock and the one on the sand. If you notice the elements, the wind, the rain, the flood, it hit both houses equally. Now that goes against a lot of doctrine that you're going to hear. That, you know, if you just come to Jesus, he's going to make sure that, you know, the wind and the rain and the floods are gone. He's going to make sure you're blessed. You're going to have more money than you know what to do with. You're never going to get sick. And if you do get sick, you just need to pray it out and it has to go. And no one, no one that loves Jesus and is living by him can ever really fall into some of these things that we would call wind and rain and floods. And it's just not true. Jesus said, he very clearly says, the house built on the rock, the rain came, the wind came, the floods came. The difference, the only difference, was that when Jesus is your anchor, when he's your foundation, the promise is not that the elements won't hit you, the promise is that they won't destroy you. That's the beauty of God. That's the power of God in our life. It's not like he takes away everything. Jesus, the, the Bible says, Psalm 23, it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear because you're with me. It doesn't say, well, if you're with me, I'm not even going to have to walk through it. I'm just going to hover over it. You're still going to go through it. Psalm 27, 1, it was a beautiful passage. It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold. He is the strength. He is the anchor and the foundation of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? It doesn't say the people that you should be afraid of won't be there. You just don't have to fear him because he's with you. The stuff's still going to be there. The stuff is still going to come. And when we try to believe this thing that if I just follow Jesus, he's going to put me in this little Holy Spirit bubble, then when bad things happen, our faith crumbles. And we start saying, why, God? What am I doing wrong? I love you. I've been serving you. I've been tithing. I've been, man, I've been nice to my brother. That should be enough right there. And your faith starts to crumble because it's built on sand. It's not built on the rock. Your anchor is comfort instead of Jesus. And so when that stuff goes away, there goes your faith too. You see it every day, every single day. Believe the word of God, believe the words of Jesus, that those things are still gonna come, but they're not gonna destroy you. The waves still come, but that anchor is gonna hold, church. It's gonna hold you. It's gonna hold you during all those difficult times in life. Okay, secondly, when he is our anchor, he is our confidence. He's our assurance. I love it that my confidence is not in my ability. Man, it has never been more true than being the pastor of a church for me to have to lean on my confidence being in him and not in myself. I feel completely inept more often than I'd ever care to admit. And my confidence is in him. And I'm so thankful for that because when we put our confidence in him, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. When we say, you know what, God, I'm not going to I'm not going to do this on my own knowledge. I'm not going to do this based on my own skill or on my own gifting. I'm going to do it because I'm trusting you. And it's amazing how he works in our life. I want to go back to two of the verses out of my text verse in Hebrews 6, verses 17 and 18. Look at this powerful language he uses here. It says, God bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. God is the only one that can speak with that kind of assurance. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. No one else in the universe, therefore, therefore we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope, which is the anchor, 
that's our part, that we hold to this anchor that lies before us. Our confidence in him, comes in him when we stand on his word, not on how we feel. It's all about standing on his word. And this is the most basic principle in the Christian faith, but it is something we need to be reminded of every day. Every day, that it is not about how I feel. When we choose to honor and believe his word, it's an amazing thing happens. He starts to reveal more and more of it to you. If you want to read the Bible and try to pick it apart, you'll be able to do it all day long. There are people that have read the Bible cover to cover just to try to tear it apart. And you know what they got from it? Nothing. But when you read it, choosing to believe what you read, and not having to have every, every little fact laid out for you perfectly, but choosing to believe that this is the inerrant, unfall, infallible word of God, it starts to illuminate in your mind and in your heart. God starts to reveal more and more to you. And even though you may consider yourself an intellectual person, you start to believe things that can't necessarily be proved intellectually because God's revealing it to you. And when God reveals it to you, there's nobody in the world that could talk you out of it. No atheist in the world could ever talk me out of my faith. I don't care what they said. Because I know what God has shown me. I know what he has revealed to me and confirmed to me in my heart and in my life. Praise God. But if we don't, guess what's what's going to be our anchor? If we don't choose to stand on and believe the word of God, doubt is going to be your anchor. And when doubt is your anchor, that is a scary place to be. Because you talk about something that's that's changeable and it wavers and shifts all the time. That's exactly what doubt does. In fact, I love what James says about doubt uh, in chapter one. I want to read it, verses five to eight. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. In other words, somebody without an anchor, And that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all he does. So we want stability that comes from Jesus being our anchor. But if we allow doubt to be our anchor, if we allow that to reside in us, then we become unstable in all we do. And not only that, James is using about as harsh of language as you could possibly use. He says, you will not receive anything from God. So don't even come and ask him. (laughs) James would have been a tough guy to be around if you were having an emotional day. But he's speaking the truth, that we can't expect to have things from God if we allow doubt to just reside. Listen, doubt's going to come at all of us in our life because of the fact that we're human beings, but we don't have to let it set up camp in our mind and in our heart for the rest of our life. When it comes, we can recognize it and kick it out. Let me just be very honest with all of you, and let's just be honest with ourselves today, okay? Every one of us has reason to doubt in our faith, every one of us. I have plenty of reason to doubt. You have plenty of reason to doubt. We all have plenty of reason to doubt. And you don't have to have lived 50, 60, 70 years to be able to acquire that doubt. It starts coming in at a very, very young age. I have plenty of reason to doubt in my faith. My mom died prematurely. I could doubt that God's a healer. I've been betrayed in relationships. I've been betrayed in business. I've been betrayed in ministry. I could doubt God all day long. God, I've given so much for you. Why haven't you done this? We, every one of us can doubt God if we choose to do that. If you want reason to doubt, you can figure it out in about 30 seconds. You could probably come up with a list of 30 things of why you should doubt God. And if you do, you're falling right into the trap that the enemy has for you. James says, listen, you got to believe. You got to believe that he's going to do the things he says he's going to do for you. If when doubt comes, you don't let it stick around. 
Because if you do, you become a double-minded person where one minute you're having faith, the next minute you're in doubt. If that's you today, you're not going to get anything from the Lord. I'm, I'm just here to tell you the, the truth, the way the Word lays it out. It doesn't mean that if you have some doubt in your mind, you're a horrible person. We all deal with it. But we have to make sure that it does not become the anchor that we're making all of our life decisions on. If you're living in this what if all the time, or if you're living in this everything, you're skeptical about everything, and you're just constantly doubting anything and everything that could be good in your life, because, you know, everything in my life has just been horrible and bad, then you're not going to receive anything from God. He's not going to be your anchor. He's not going to be your confidence. He gives us the ability to choose, to decide that he's going to be my anchor. He is going to be my assurance. He is the one that gives me the confidence. He is the one that makes me sure. He is the one that is never going to change. He's the one that can give me great confidence, as Hebrews 6 says. Wouldn't you love to walk around with great confidence in your faith? I can tell you mine's growing all the time. Because I've chosen to not let those things, that have, the, the wind and the waves and the rain and the floods that have come into my life, I've not allowed those to shape my faith. I've not allowed those to make me question who God is. I know who he is because I know what his word says. And I know that he's faithful. Praise God. All right, let me give you the last one that I have for you today, and it is the anchor is our access. The anchor is what gives us access. Access to what, preacher? Well, I'm glad you asked. Access to the very presence of God, to the relationship with the, your heavenly Father. I mentioned that in, earlier on that this, this is a picture of salvation, of how we are connected to God because of what Jesus has done for us as our anchor. But it's not just that you're connected. It's not just that you're forgiven of your sins. It's not just that you get to go to heaven when you die. He actually gives you access now, where you can be in relationship with your heavenly Father now because of what Jesus did. He is the one that gives us access to our Father. Hebrews 6, 19. This was the last verse out of my text. It's my favorite verse in this whole passage. It says, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. See, here's something. This is another thing. It's so easy to miss this when you're reading your Bible. If you're just reading through it, you can miss this. But that last line there is so profound that the anchor, when Jesus is our anchor, he's actually leading us. Okay, now I know that goes against the idea of an anchor. An anchor just holds usually. But listen, Jesus, when he's an anchor, he can do whatever he wants. <laughs> so he's going to lead us too. And he leads us past the curtain into the inner sanctuary. Now many of you know what that is a reference to. Some of you don't. And let me explain it real quickly. That's an obvious reference to the tabernacle that was, that was built back, Moses had it built when he was leading the children of Israel. And they were in the desert. They were not in the promised land yet. They were in the desert. And uh, they had built an ark that the, that the presence of the Lord was residing in, literally. I mean, it's hard to fathom exactly what that was like, but the presence of God literally lived inside of this big ark. And God had them build a tent that would cover the ark, and they would have multiple compartments in the tent. And the people could go into the one area, it was called the holy place, where you could go, you could make sacrifices, you could pray, you could do whatever. But then there was another section of the tent that was in the back that was called the holy of holies. It was the most holy place. That was where this ark resided. That's where the presence of God literally was dwelling in that tent. And nobody but nobody could go in there whenever they wanted. The only person that could go in there was the high priest, and he could only do it like once a year. There was all kinds of rules about it. And there was a veil, a curtain, that separated that presence of God from the rest of the tent. And, there was, and no one could go past that. If a person just willy-nilly went in there, he was dead. You were struck down and dead. 
We were separated from being able to be part or go into the presence of God. And not only that, when, when before they built the tabernacle, when Moses went to meet with God, he was the only one allowed to go meet with him. He, would, he went up the mountain. Many of you know the story. He goes up Mount Sinai. The presence of God is at the top of the mountain. There's smoke all around. The people were terrified. And he went up there. It's where God gave him the Ten Commandments. He spent uh, some time up there with God. And the rules were very clear. He told Moses to tell the people, do not come near this mountain. If you touch the mountain, or even if any of your animals touches the mountain, you will be killed immediately because the mountain represented the presence of God. Nobody could go up the mountain except Moses. And so we see here that in this verse, it says that he leads us through the curtain into the inner sanctuary, into the Holy of Holies. Basically, what he's saying here is because of what Jesus did, if he is our anchor, he's leading us into an actual relationship into the presence of God in our life. We have complete access to being in a relationship with God that is something that we can take for granted so easily and so quickly. But the reality is, for thousands of years, nobody could go into the presence of God. And now he says, not only can you go, I'm inviting you in. Not only can you go up the mountain, you can go as high up the mountain as you want now. We can go all the way to the top of the mountain in the presence of God. And you know, when Moses went to the top of the mountain, when he would come down and he'd been in the presence of God, the Bible says that his face shone with glory, like it was shining bright, like a, like a big halogen bulb was coming out of his face. And it was so bright, it scared the Israelites. They didn't want to come near him. So Moses would have to take a veil and cover his face after he'd come out of the presence of the Lord. The same kind of veil that separated the people from the presence of God in the tabernacle. And the same kind of veil that separated the people from the presence of God in the temple. Moses was representing the presence of God because his face was shining with that glory and he had to wear a veil because the people wouldn't come near him. So even in that way, the people were not allowed to access the glory of God or the presence of God. And now, because of what Jesus did, he leads us through the curtain, past the curtain, into the inner sanctuary to be in the presence of God. You are able and encouraged to have a relationship with Jesus every minute of every day. And it's only because of what he did for us. And look at what uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, in verse 16. It says, Whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Praise God. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So now, Moses had to cover his face so they couldn't see the glory. Now the veil, we're taking it away. Paul says, listen, you don't need a veil. They used to veil people. Now we take it away because that, the presence of God, that glory of God that's in you now because of your relationship with him is actually meant to make you more like him and also have an impact on people around you. So when we, you know, we talk about wanting to experience the presence of God or we want to experience the glory of God in our life, it's not so that we can go into the Holy of Holies and be in the presence of God and soak in our Holy Spirit hot tub. It's so that we can go in and we can reflect his glory so that we can make an impact in the lives of people that God has put in our lives. That even him being the anchor of our life, it's not just so that we will be stable when the waves come and the wind winds hit and the floods come and all the storms hit our life. It's not just for us. And if you go on in your faith, you'll see that there is nothing in your faith that is just for you. Everything God does for you in your life is for you, but it's also for the people in your life. It's to impact this world for God's kingdom. It's that we would pray that his will would be done on the earth just like it is in heaven. And it says that he is making us more like him in that verse in Corinthians. 
making us more like him. This is one of the most telling verses in all the Bible. That if you are anchored to Jesus, if he is your anchor, you will become more and more like him. You won't arrive. You'll never become perfect until we're with him face to face. But we will become more like him in our life, and it will affect others as well. Praise God. Would you stand with me, please? I'd like to pray for us today as we close. I just want to encourage you to to pray with me, church. Let's just open our heart to the Lord this afternoon. You can come up to the altar if you'd like to pray on your own. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word. Your word is what transforms. God, transform us. We want to be more and more like you. Thank you that we can come into your presence, that we don't have to be afraid. In fact, your word tells us we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Not because we're good enough, not because we've figured it all out, but because of what you've done for us. And Lord, we have all invited other anchors into our life besides you. And I'm thankful today, Lord, that you do not condemn us. You've given us mercy and grace far beyond what we deserve. But Lord, we do want to recognize those anchors that we put in our life. And Lord, we repent of that today. We open our heart, Lord, and we confess that we have brought in other things to put our trust in. We've counted on other things in our life to bring stability. And even though some of those things aren't even bad, Lord, we don't want to put our trust in those things. We want to put our hope and our trust in you. You are the anchor of our soul. You are the only one that is unchanging. You are the only one that is perfectly secure and perfectly stable. We thank you that you are not man, that you should lie, and that we can believe your words, God. So Lord, we repent. We turn from those other anchors, God. We turn from those other things that we've used to bring stability, God, and we turn to you. Jesus, just be the anchor in our life. We cast off all the other ones because they all fall short. You're the only one that gives us purpose. You're the only one that sustains us. And we thank you, God, for what you've done. Thank you, Lord, that you are our strength. Lord, help us to put your words into practice. Help us to give up, to take up, and to follow you. That your name would be exalted in our lives. Your name would be glorified. And as you would be at the front, Lord, where we have allowed doubt to settle in, where we have allowed it to take up residence, and doubt has become our anchor, Lord, we repent of that too. Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you that when we turn to you, God, that you help us. Help us, Lord. Give us the strength. Give us the the foresight. Give us the, the fortitude to choose you in every area of our life, Lord. Where the storms have come, we thank you, God, that you are with us, that you are the one. We love you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen. Yes, yes, let's praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank the Lord. God is good.